Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation, and start designing a new life. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sober by Design podcast. Uh, My name is Corey Hennings, and today, for this episode, I am rolling solo. I did have a guest scheduled for this week, and she is awesome, and we are going to record again next week, but the issue was that I was on the road, and while I thought I had my equipment all figured out, it turned out that I'm not as savvy with this equipment yet as I thought, so we were looking at each other on the screen, I was talking, she was talking, I couldn't hear her, she could hear me. Anyway, we decided it was best to uh, avoid the frustration of the moment and just uh, do it while my studio was at home. Um, It's not a huge studio that I have here, but, you know, I have some equipment, mic, little pod, track, recorder, and it's just easier if I'm all stable. Um... The other day, my wife, Renee, mentioned that sometimes I get a little agitated before these recordings. If I am um, maybe not settled in, if I'm running around, if I'm rushing, uh, the technology is still throwing me a little bit. So anyway, today you get me alone, and I figured it was a good time to give everybody a little bit of background of who I am, because we haven't done that yet. Some of it's been sprinkled through the episodes but it is always good to know your host to some extent, and this is the week I can do that. Um, so anyway, my name is Corey. I am a recovering alcoholic. I will give you my background. Um, right now I'm 45, going to be 46 in a couple months. Um, I was born I was born uh, in New Jersey. Uh, my parents were younger when they had me. My mom was really young. She was uh, 18. My dad was about 10 years older. Um, You know, they were not, I don't think, ready for me at that point. They both loved me and, you know, were happy to have me, but I don't know that they were 100% ready for a child at that point in their life. Um, And I don't think that they were ready to be a couple at that point in their life. So they got divorced rather quickly, um, and then I lived sort of between the two of them, and that that setup continued for a little while. Um, there was a lot of different homes, as far as I can remember, that part of my life. I was, you know, a lot of apartments, a lot of smaller spaces, um, but I was always, you know, under a roof. I was always fed. I was always loved by a lot of different people. There was aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmas, grandpas, you know, anybody that you could think of was uh, involved in my life. Uh, A little bit further down the road, my mom 
met uh, a man who would become my stepfather, um, moved in with her, him, my uncle, and his wife. And that was when I was about, I would say, in kindergarten, first grade. Um, and we kind of lived there for a couple years. I was still traveling back and forth every other-ish weekend to my dad's. Um, you know, I saw him frequently. Um, not as frequently as the schedule determined, but um, or the schedule said. But anyway, you know, I was around a lot of younger people um, early on, and they were all kind of doing their thing with, you know, alcohol and, and, and drugs. And while it wasn't in my face, I think I must have picked up on some of it, you know. Um, and that that's not to say that that's what brought me down my road, but it is a part of the story, uh, for sure. You know, drinking was, was abundant in my eyes and my family and you know at the parties and you know I always kind of saw it it was just around we weren't a teetotaling family by any means um on either side of the table my mom or my dad's side so anyway my life continued on it was a pretty good life I mean from all all things considered from how you know the start went to where I ended up I think it was good you know I had a stable home again we moved um from that shared home with my uncle and, you know, that, that sort of shared roommate situation, we moved into a condo. Um, I was there for about five years with my mom, my stepfather. Um, during that time, my stepfather and mother had two boys, um, so my half-brothers. And I, during that time, my dad had a gotten married and had a daughter, so my half-sister. Um, those are my only siblings, all half. Um, they're all obviously younger than me. Um, my sister's the closest, uh, and then my brothers, I think, are about, uh, you know, nine years. You know, the first one's nine years, and then the other one would have been uh, a little bit different, 12, 12 years spread, something like that, 10. Um, you know, after eighth grade, we moved to a new high school, fell right in, and, and really enjoyed my time there. I made some great friends. I did not get into drinking. I was very against it at that time. I kind of saw my mom and her drinking really escalate. Um, so I was kind of living in an alcoholic household. Um, there was a lot of drinking that would happen during the day. I would come home from school. She would already kind of be, you know, tipsy on, on a number of days. Um, and that kind of continued to escalate through the high school time. Despite that, I still did all the stuff. I, you know, I went to you know, play sports as best I could. I did after school activities. I had friends. We hung out and it was a pretty normal high school time. Um, you know, obviously the drinking had an effect. And for me at that time, the effect was don't drink at all costs. Like I did not want to have what I was seeing part of my life. Um, you know, I went away to college uh, the idea was to become an architect. So I went to a local state school here in New Jersey. I got accepted to the architecture program. And once I got there, I think it was kind of clear that it wasn't for me. Um, not so much the architecture, but the school, just the whole thing. Um, I don't know if it wasn't, I wasn't ready or it was just too much. Um, but I definitely felt a little bit off. Um, I didn't, 
addressed that. I kind of continued on. And then I went to um, visit some friends in New York City at Columbia University. At that time, we went out to a bar. I was not going to partake, and then I did. And that kind of opened the floodgates for me. Um, From that moment on, you know, 18 to, let's just say... Uh, 35, it was an escalation of, of drinking. Um, and you know, at some points, a little bit of drug use, uh, just pot. I, you know, I wasn't a big, uh, drug person. Um, even though I was hanging around with some folks that were, it really wasn't part of my story. Um, but drinking was, um, it kind of just grabbed hold of me quick and, and, you know, it wasn't going to let go. Um, and again, that, that drinking kind of continued and I don't love giving like a drunk a log here. Um, but you know, I think for the sake of this episode, you know, my drinking was primarily beer. Um, you know, I fancied myself a, a beer connoisseur and, you know, I made my own beer at home. I, you know, we would keep a, a keg at the house. It was not, you know, Looking back now, it wasn't normal. I should have known that. Um, but when you're in the throes of of your drinking, you, you can't kind of you can't see it. And I was hanging around with enough people that it kind of did seem normal. Um, you know, my I think maybe I was keeping those people close, but it it kind of made it okay. Um, you know, what I was doing wasn't totally out of bounds um, for for my group of friends. So I just kind of continued on. Um, I had a job. We had a house. We were able to do things. Um, throughout this time, I was still dating my wife. We did get engaged and married. Um, you know, somewhere in the early 2000s, uh, we went up to Boston so I could go to graduate school. You know, things were looking okay. Um, I would say that at that point, the drinking was, you know, not under control, but it wasn't bad. Um, as bad as it was going to get further down the road. Um, you know, we drank together, me and my wife. Again, not, she wasn't drinking to my level, but it was enough where I thought like, well, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Um, you know, and, and that story kind of continued on until we had our first son and, you know, Renee was able to kind of back off. And, and I think I went the other direction at that point, there was a split. Um, you know, I kind of picked up on my drinking and she scaled back and, and that's when real things started to, I think consequences started to happen in my life. You know, um, there, there becomes a level of, of drinking for some people where, you know, you're waking up, you're always hungover, you know, you're not well until that night, um, when you're drinking again, I know some people get it early in the morning. I never got there. Although I'm sure, you know, having a drink early in the morning, looking back, probably would have taken some of those bad feelings away. Um, I never did that. Um, You know, and this kind of escalated from 2005, I would say, until I I finally uh, stopped drinking in 2012, September uh, 4th. Um, And there were plenty of times where I tried to stop. You know, I went to the AA meetings. I sat in the room. I listened. I knew that my story was similar to what I was hearing, but I thought I could go back out and 
fix it myself, control it, give myself rules. You know, I would only drink on the weekends. I would only drink on a Wednesday. I would only drink on a Thursday and a Wednesday in the weekends. And, you know, and it was this up and down um, kind of, I would say, ride from 2005 to 2012. Um, you know, I would say 11, 2011 to, to 12 was probably the pinnacle. Um, you know, it was evident at that point that I needed to make a change. I could see it. Um, I was being told it. And then one day, um, it was the day after my wife's birthday. I think I've told this story maybe on a couple other podcasts and maybe even on this one, you know, it was my wife's birthday and we had a party. We had people over and I was cooking and, you know, we had started cooking early in the morning outside. I started drinking early in the morning, 11 ish, something like that. And I think I passed out by four, um, woke up the next day in bed. She was not there with me. I kind of knew that something was completely off. Um, I knew at that moment, if I didn't make a change, I would kind of lose everything, right? I, I just knew that from that moment on, if I, if I didn't stop drinking, it was just going to get really worse for me. And I would lose my family. At that point, we had had both our boys. Um, my older son was probably seven, eight at that time. Um, seven. And then my younger son was just over one. Um, and I knew I didn't want to lose my family. You know, at that point, I had done a lot of therapy with my wife. We had gone to couples therapy. I had done individual therapy. I knew that the the life that I had is the one that I, I wanted. I just couldn't get out of my own way. Um, so anyway, she was sleeping in the guest room. I think the boys were still asleep. Um, I got up, took a shower. Um, I think I might've said goodbye to her. I don't even remember. Um, went to work. As soon as I got to work, I opened up my, my computer and found a AA meeting close to my office. And I spent my lunch break there. Um, you know, that, that lunch break meeting cadence continued for a long time. Um, and that's how I started my path on recovery. Um, it was AA. It was going to meetings, sitting in a room with a bunch of retirees and maybe a couple people close to my age, but mostly retirees and just listening to their stories, you know, listening to the, the readings from the book, hearing ideas about tools I could use and going home and, and doing my best to live my life without alcohol. Um, you know, I had done a lot of damage up to that point. So, you know, day one, my wife wasn't impressed. Day seven, not impressed. And, you know, I think I was hoping, you know, as, as most people who, you know, start this path, we all think like, well, immediately our loved ones are going to just fall over and say, oh, you guys are are the best and you're doing awesome. And I can't believe that I was ever mad at you. You know, let's just be happy. And that is not the case. And it wasn't the case for me. Um, it took a lot of time. Um, and this is an instance of, you know, showing somebody that you are serious, showing them, 
you know, instead of saying you're sorry, you're showing them that you're sorry. Um, you know, and you're showing yourself that you are sorry through this point too. You're you're really starting to to get your new your new being about you. Um, you're growing. You're grieving the loss of of drinking. You're grieving the loss of these friends that are falling off. You know, the friends that you went to the bar with, the friends that you drank with, all these people that, you know, you thought had your best interests in mind are now starting to shed off and your life is changing um, completely. Um, you know, I was at this point losing friends to some extent that I had had for years. Um, relationships were, were morphing, maybe, you know, not... Um, you know, not the same because I, I couldn't go out with them yet at that point. Um, you know, the relationships with my wife and my kids were changing. And I would say that all those were changing for the better. I was seeing for the first time in a long time what I was missing out on. Um, you know, I was, my eyesight, my eyesight, you know, I want to say my eyesight was getting clearer, but it's not eyesight. Just like I was seeing things clearer. You know, I could see that. I had built a life that was was worth living, and um, so I started to live it, you know, and I think that that happened, you know, I couldn't tell you the exact time, um, but somewhere at that six-month mark, I think things started to really kind of shift. Um, I decided that, you know, I was going to take this recovery thing seriously and, and live my life fully. Um, you know, for me, I continued on in the AA model for a while. Um, it was, you know, it was helpful for me. I I really loved hearing the stories that people were telling at the meetings. Um, I was accountable, for sure, to those people, which helped me a lot. You know, this sense of community and accountability became really integral to my recovery. Um, you know, also through this, I was coaching youth sports so I was accountable to yet another group of people um you know and and I think that accountability really helped me it's a a, a strong cornerstone of my recovery still to this day is accountability you know how many people can I sort of build into my network that I'm accountable to um in my mind uh you know who are counting on me to bring my best self to the table and, and for me, that tool, I think, is probably the key to the whole thing. Um, I find myself, you know, always putting myself in, in positions of service. Um, and because of that, you know, again, I, I build this idea of, okay, I'm accountable to kids I'm coaching. I, I'm accountable to, you know, my job. I'm accountable to the community. And for me, that became a very strong motivator, a strong tool. And, um, you know, I, I continue to push that to anybody that I talk to, uh, about recovery. Um, so that's a little bit about how I started, um, you know, my recovery journey. So that takes us to about a year, I would say, um, you know, AI fully, um, you know, starting to build out these new communities and, and diving a little bit deeper into my family relationships. And I think some of those things are really good in early recovery, right? Like finding that, that community, 
finding the relationships that are meaningful to you, and then finding outside things that you could do to help sort of uh, navigate this new sense of time that you're going to have. When you're drinking, you can drink away eight hours and it feels like an hour. But when you first get sober and those eight hours are, are laid out in front of you, they are very hard to fill. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. So finding things to do, coaching, working in your community, you know, getting a part-time job, going to the gym, taking a walk, just sitting down and spending time with a loved one or reading a book or watching a, a series of TV shows that you've wanted to watch for years. You know, all these things can help you kind of fill that void and, and shorten that eight-hour period so that you're not feeling like you're, you're holding on for eight hours. I think that that was a huge part of that early, that first year for me was just, you know, navigating that, that sense of time that I felt. Um, so anyway, that was, the, that was that time. Um, you know, over the next couple of years, I continued with AA, um, but I definitely turned it down a little bit. Um, I started to see people in that group say, well, you know, if you're going to stay here, you got to do the steps, you got to have a sponsor. And I tried that. Um, but it wasn't for me. Um, I don't know if it was the people that I tried or just the idea of it. Um, you know, sharing, you know, all these secrets that I had with somebody that I barely know, um, kind of getting, you know, training from somebody who I don't know if they were had any training themselves. Um, you know, I don't know what position they're in to give me advice. Um, you know, and it just seemed a little off at that point in my life. So, um, I kind of stepped back a little bit and started to think about other tools that I could find and use to help me through my recovery. And again, I felt comfortable at this point. I had, I had built a little network. I had my accountability, um, and I wasn't fully abandoning AA. I just wasn't going, you know, five, six days a week. I was going to turn it down to one, two, you know, find one meeting that I really liked, continue on that, but then supplement it with books um, or something else. And, and around that time, I found podcasts. Sobriety podcasts were, were popping up and Instagram, I think, was popping up for me at that time. So I found a good sober community on Instagram I found some podcasts that I really liked. Um, at the time, I think the biggest one was the Home Podcast, um, and then there was Since Right Now was around at that point. And I think between those two, um, Recovery Elevator, uh, Recovery Elevator, um, was another one. And then there were just some speaker podcasts that you could kind of listen to, basically an AA meeting on 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 a car ride. Um, those all really helped me through that period. Um, and then, you know, so I was getting information in through the podcast and then I was getting my community through Instagram and all of a sudden it felt like, wow, this is, this is a legit, you know, mode of, of recovery support. Um, you know, and one that I think almost resonated more with me because I was grabbing stories from all over. I was listening to experts on, podcasts. Um, I was interfacing with people in recovery uh, all day. Um, You know, there was posts going up. I was putting posts up. We were all kind of 
keeping each other in check. And it, it really became a tool and still is, I would say, a huge tool. So again, another cornerstone for me became this digital recovery space. So cornerstone one is accountability. Cornerstone two is this, uh, you know, recovery platform online. And I think, you know, for me, those two things are, are invaluable um, and continue to be. Um, again, online, I got more accountability. You know, now my my network of sobriety uh, peers is has grown exponentially. Um, people know me. I know them. You know, if they disappeared for a week or two online, I could check in. If I did this, if I disappeared, they would check in. So it really felt communal and 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 real. Um, I think it's an amazing space. I mean, if you go on Instagram today and type in sober curious or sober life or sobriety or recovery. Um, you'll get thousands and thousands of posts and you can just connect with tons of different people. And, you know, maybe you don't find your person day one, but you'll find your people day two, day three, four. Um, And there's different groups, I think, even on Instagram. I mean, there's people who are, you know, maybe a little bit left-leaning politically, right-leaning politically, people who are you know, into sports and sobriety, into fitness and sobriety, into music and sobriety. I mean, you could really get niche and find the people that you want to to interface with. And I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like, it's, it, it's so uh, individualized almost for your recovery. It's, uh, it's a really interesting space. And I've met some great people on there. Um, some of them are going to be interviewing the woman I'm interviewing next week that I missed today. I met on Instagram and, you know, I, I don't want to tell her story here, but, you know, just seeing her on this space, it it's like I'm watching somebody grow and change and, and become their best selves right in front of my eyes over, you know, a series of photos, videos, and, and, and these messages that people put up. I've seen love stories unfold. I'm going to have somebody on in a couple of weeks who just has an amazing story. He is one of my, um, you know, sobriety inspirations, you know, he's somebody who I, you know, I always think, okay, I want to be more like that person. I, I should use some of his, his tools. Um, you know, I've, there's just so many people, um, you know, I had, uh, somebody on very early in the podcast that I met through, through Instagram and, you know, we all kind of look out for each other. And I think it's an interesting space and and one that is free you don't have to travel anywhere um you know if you're early in your recovery and you've lost your license or you don't have access to transportation or you live in an area where the closest aa meeting is an hour and a half away instagram's right there it's in your phone it's available you could chat with people you can create you know these these amazing feeds that just are giving you what you need at that moment. So I think it's a really good tool. So that's where I was, you know, I'd say through, you know, the next evolution of my um, recovery was, was there. So I'm going to say that that takes me up to the next kind of big, I would say life moment for me. And that was, um, you know, I was doing pretty well at this point. I felt, you know, I was just looking through pictures, um, this weekend, like all my digital pictures, just thousands of pictures. And 
it's interesting to go back because you can kind of really chart your life, right? Um, I have pictures digitally from, you know, the early 2000s up till today, you know, so you're talking 23, 23 years of photos, um, just chronicling your life. And, you know, I could see all the moments in time. I, you know, I was looking at moments of my drinking, but I think really for me, what I was looking at were these moments after I got sober and all the things we, we were doing as a family, um, you know, from, from 20, 2012 to 2017, um, we were doing amazing things. I mean, there was trips, the, the smiles, and I think they really got, you know, if I look back at these pictures, uh, the, my family of four, my wife and my two boys, we were, we were really, uh, you know, thriving, you know, 2015, 2016, just looking at some of these photos. I mean, we were, we were going on trips. We were doing day trips to the beach. We were um, really dialed in. Um, the smiles, the laughs, you could kind of feel them coming through uh, the screen. And, um, you know, so just looking at that this weekend kind of made me remember all these stages of, of this journey for me. But um, 2017, mid-2017, um, I we went away for Thanksgiving to Maine, which we always do. Um, I have family up there that we love dearly, and we spend our our Thanksgivings with them. Um, it's my uncle uh, through my through my stepfather. He's he's a year younger than me, and him and his wife and their two daughters, and we just have a great time together. They're um, probably our closest family. Um, we just get along, you know, um, all of us. So we were up there celebrating Thanksgiving as we always do. And we came home um, that Sunday, and then on Monday, I had gone to work, and, um, you know, it was a beautiful day. I could just remember the day. It was sunny. It was just a beautiful November day. For late November in New Jersey, it was spectacular. Um, I was working probably about an hour from home um, on a project at that point um, at a hospital system, so I went to my construction office, uh, started to get calls probably about 11 that day that people were having a hard time getting in touch with my mom. I got a call from one of my aunts. Then I got a call from my youngest brother. Um, you know, mom isn't answering her phone. What's going on? Can you get her? So um, leading up to that, there was, you know, some concern about my mom and just kind of her well-being. Um, but you know, it wasn't totally out of bounds that she couldn't answer her phone. You know, she had a job, she had responsibilities, you know, which is, you know, sometimes you could be caught up in a meeting and you can't answer a phone or sometimes you could be, you know, driving around where we drive around and you're just not in an area that has cell phone reception. So I wasn't too worried, but then the calls kind of started to get more frequent. I can't get her. I'm worried. Um, so I started driving home. Um, at that point, I think, uh, my aunt had called and she was concerned that she was going to go to my mom's house. Um, I was just going to go home, um, which I did. I just went back to my house. She, I think, continued to my mom's house. I got home and, and sometime later that day, you know, I, I said, uh, maybe it was like two hours after that. I, 
you know, I called my aunt. I said, okay, I'm coming over. Um, and then she said, don't come over. You know, your mom's dead. Um, you know, she has taken her life. And I think that kind of changed. I don't think. I know that changed the, the, the trajectory of our lives here at our house. And also just our family, um, you know, on a larger sphere. You know, my extended family on my mom's side. Um, it definitely sent a ripple through our families. Um, you know, this is another group of people that I've been, um, you know, in connection with on Instagram are people who have lost loved ones to suicide and it has an impact. Um, you know, unfortunately I know too many people now that have had this kind of loss. Um, we tend to find each other in some way. I found people at, at my gym. I've found people, you know, my best friend, um, his wife uh, died by suicide just a couple years ago. And, um, you know, it just seems like we find each other somehow. And that day shifted sort of the world for us. Um, you know, again, if I look back at those photos, you know, 2017 on, not to say that we don't live life fully anymore, but I can see you know, the physical change in, in me, um, you know, I definitely aged, um, you know, I think we talked a little bit about it on my podcast with my wife, Renee, but she was a big part of, of the, the time after my mom died and helping get, get her house cleaned out. And it took a, a physical and mental toll on her. She basically had like a breakdown about a year, uh, just under a year out, I mean, she, you know, she was suffering from panic attacks, anxiety, couldn't leave the house, um, you know, and obviously that then has a ripple effect to me, our kids, you know, it really, the whole experience just kind of changed everything for us. Um, we we don't have a strong relationship with my mom's family anymore. Um, it just, you know, I think that family kind of, uh, couldn't understand what happened. And, you know, it's hard when you're in a room together now um, to, to look at people who knew her and were close to her. I think we all kind of, when we're in those rooms together, I think we see her um, in each of us. And I think it, it does something to, to you as a person. You're, you're looking across the table at, you know, her brother or her sisters, and they're looking at me as her kid. And I think we all kind of see her and it, it, it kind of throws us off. And I don't know that we've really, really grappled with that yet as a family, you know, and I think, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, it's a time thing, uh, you know, even though we're, you know, this, this November will be six years. I think, I think we're getting better about it. But I don't think that we're we're fully we're fully there yet. Um, one reason is you know we just don't put ourselves in those situations. Um, for better or worse, uh, we are going to have a party here at our house in a couple weeks, and some people will be there. Um, which again, maybe we'll heal the wound a little bit, close it a little bit. Um, you know, but I will say that 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 death uh, it definitely rocked us. And, um, it is one reason that I'm a huge advocate of mental health 
you know, finding mental health, talking to people, telling people when you are having a hard time. Um, you know, when people that I work with are stressed out or overworked, I am the first one to, to suggest a day off or to take a break or raise their hand for help. And, you know, I try to do my best for myself. Um, we, we try to do our best in this house and we still fall short. It's a, um, it's a hard, it's a hard one to navigate. I mean, if you have a broken leg, you are going to sit on that couch because you have a broken leg. But, you know, with our mental health, we tend to think that we can push through. Um, I don't know. I don't even think it's uniquely American. I think it's uniquely now. I think it's a uniquely now problem where we just feel like we need to get more done faster, um, more efficient, uh, that we can't stop. And, you know, okay, I'm having a hard day. I can get this done regardless. And, you know, I think what what needs to happen is we need to slow down a little bit, um, enjoy the time we have. And, and again, I, I, I talk it, I try to live it, but I fall short sometimes. And it's something that I'm continuing to work on as a person, um, you know, day in and day out. And, you know, and these mental health tools, I think have kind of, you know, come together with my recovery tools. I, you know, they're almost um, interweaved at this point. I don't think I can separate one from the other right now. Um, you know, what what I do for my recovery, I think, helps my mental health and, and vice versa. So, you know, I'd say from t- 2017 on, that's kind of been my journey. Um, you know, I have um, my, my uh, I'll call her my full-time therapist, who's, who's, who's helped me through my grief. Um, you know, that whole, that whole journey was tricky. Um, you know, we had a a very, I, I had a very challenging estate to close out. Um, you know, not to get too technical into death stuff, but you know, my advice to everybody have a will, have all that worked out because if you don't, you're leaving somebody a, a real headache. Um, you know, there was, for me, it was almost a year close out my mom's estate there were some court visits uh you know I was on a stand um it was a little complex in nature but um you know we got it done and uh, but it just took a toll um I don't think it had to be nearly as challenging as it was um you know a couple years after that um my youngest brother passed away he had uh, a long health battle um you know, he passed out in the middle of COVID, um, which was hard on all of us because, you know, it just, it made the whole situation tricky. He was living in a, uh, like a long-term care facility. Um, so sort of the end of his life was, was, was rough because he couldn't, there wasn't a lot of visiting hours going on, um, through COVID, um, you know, nursing homes particularly were, were very locked down. Um, that's where he was living. He had, uh, at that point, pretty bad kidney disease. And, um, you know, his time out was to go to dialysis a couple times a week. And that was his life, you know, um, sitting in a room and going to dialysis. And he made a choice in the middle of that to just 
stop his kidney treatment. Um, you know, the thought was that he was going to be able to pass at home, um, you know, surrounded by everybody that loved him. And unfortunately, um, you know, there was some equipment that we needed at the house and it was delayed. So he went to a hospital instead of the house, um, you know, which made visiting again because of COVID uh, a little trickier. Um, we, we all got in there other than the kids, um, because it was one at a time and, um, just, it wasn't, it wasn't an ideal situation. And, um, anyway, he uh, did pass away. Um, and I don't know why I'm trying to interweave this story anymore, but I felt it was, um, you know, important to tell, but, you know, he, he fought for a long time, um, he was sick, uh, with various, uh, ailments, he had diabetes as a kid, um, he just kind of struggled taking care of the diabetes, which then, you know, made his health harder to take care of, um, you know, there was a lot of hospital visits. There was a lot of, uh, you know, long nights for him. And um, again, he passed. He was 30. So a um, lot of life to live still. And he just didn't didn't get there. So that was another moment in our in our recent history, um, you know, I'd say the past two years, three years, um, where we were faced with another tough challenge. You know, at the time we were, we were navigating COVID as a family, um, you know, which was hard in general. You know, we were all under one roof working, schooling, and, uh, you know, trying to live and, you know, everybody has their own experience with that. But, you know, to throw something like that on top of it um, was just a little bit I think a little challenging for everybody here in this house. Um, I don't know that we always recognize how hard some of the things that we've gone through are. Um, I think we, you know, I know I try to maybe minimize it and just say, you know, I, I'm good. Um, maybe not the best way to go about it. Um, maybe being more honest about what we've experienced is helpful. Um, you know, because then you're saying, okay, this was hard and I made it through and, um, it's okay for hard things to happen. Um, and it's okay to, you know, have to grapple with them for a year, months, whatever, whatever the time period is for yourself, rather than just say, I'm good and close it down in a couple of weeks, which I think, you know, unfortunately is a trait that I have. And I feel like maybe I, you know, bring that trade into the house. Um, but anyway, let me try to get back on track here. So, um, you know, somewhere between my mom dying and my brother passing, um, I started to volunteer at a local recovery organization in the, in my, in my neck of the woods. Um, I felt it was like the next evolution of my recovery and what I could do to help um, again, you know, be of service. Um, I think that this is the true service 
work for me. Um, again, you know, uh, community accountability. Now I got service as another cornerstone. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I got training. Um, I trained as a peer recovery coach, uh, which was awesome. I met a bunch of great people. Um, I continue to be part of that organization today. Um, I've worked with a bunch of folks, um, you know, in that organization that are invaluable to me as friends, as peers. Um, I learn from them. Hopefully I give them some nugget of, you know, something that they can take on and, you know, use in their work or in their own life. Um, and I've gotten to work with some great people. Um, you know, it's been, it's been something that I've, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, for the past four years, I'd say, uh, you know, and my family gets involved now in the center. Um, we, we show up at events together. We do walks. We, you know, just find community. Um, I think it is for me, probably my biggest community at this point. Um, you know, one that I wish I could find more time for sometimes. Um, but it is, it is a real community. Um, and it's such a varied community, but I think the one thing that holds us all together is that we, you know, one, want to help people and, and two, we want to live our best lives. And when you're around people like that, it's just, there's a different vibe. There's just a different energy through the room. And I love it. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have that in my life for the past four ish, five years, something like that. So again, really uh, important to who I am as a person, um, you know, is, is that helping of, of people and being part of something bigger than myself. And that's been this, this, uh, recovery uh, community for me here in my County. Um, I know some of them listen to this podcast. I'm hoping that maybe some of them made it through to this point. Um, I appreciate all of you and, um, you know, look, continue to look, uh, look forward to continuing to work with you. Um, I think that there's still a ton to do. Um, and hopefully again, as I navigate my, my day job and I can find more time here and there to do more, um, with you all. But, um, you know, that's been an important part of who I am. And then, you know, just the last part, and I think it's the, the most important for me that I want to touch on today is, you know, I didn't get into, I didn't get sober to just focus on the sobriety part and the, and the nuts and the bolts of how I do it and why I do it and, you know, going to meetings and, you know, recording this podcast and, you know, doing all that stuff. I got sober so I could have fun with my family and, and fun with myself and, you know, live my life. And I think that that is something that I really want everybody to understand that, you know, just because you are in recovery doesn't mean, or even if you're contemplating it, and I think that this is probably the people that this is most important for, people who are contemplating, you know, stopping drinking and, or stopping their, their drug use, like, it doesn't mean that fun ends. It doesn't mean your life's over. It means that your life shifts and you find something different and new and you can experience life, you know, fully. Um, yes, you are going to have to experience the bad stuff fully too. But I could tell you that experiencing the other things fully 
the, the joyful moments, the happy moments far outweigh, you know, tackling life daily under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, I've had some amazing moments over the past 10 and a half years, almost 11 years of, of sobriety and, um, you know, vacations. I can remember everyone. Um, I can remember birthdays. I can remember, you know, specific dinners that we go to where we've had a great laugh as a family. Concerts that I go to. I mean, music is a huge part of my life. If you've listened up to this point, you know. Um, but I've gone to great concerts and I've seen great bands and I can recall every single one of them. Like, just... It's amazing the difference in in my mental acuity, um, even though I'm getting older and um, sometimes I mix up names, I can remember events now. And I think that is a huge part of it. I've also been able to, you know, try different things physically um, that I don't think would have been possible when I was drinking. You know, I, I, um, I think right around 2018, I, I joined a local CrossFit gym and, you know, just kind of putting fitness into my life was a big deal. I had been a, a swimmer, a pretty pretty decent swimmer in high school, um, you know, and, and the pool was a big part of my life. And um, I kind of gave that up once I started drinking. Um, and, and I never really looked back. I mean, I tried in the middle of drinking to do some, you know, I would go to the gym or I would do this, but it was always half-assed because... It wasn't the the priority, and I would say that you know, uh, you know, over the past five years, um, it I didn't find fitness early in recovery. It just wasn't, it wasn't possible. It wasn't, it wasn't something I could I think dedicate my my uh, my you know mental uh, my mental being to my physical being. I I was doing other things during that time, but. Um, you know, now I, I do try to carve out time for fitness. I understand that it's it's another tool in my box, but it's also fun. You know, I enjoyed my time at the CrossFit gym. You know, there was a sense of community there. Um, it was an event. I would go with my older son, Winston. We would stop and, you know, maybe get a, a Starbucks on the way home, or we would have a good talk in the car. And, you know, and then I would talk to people at the gym and you know, it was fun. There was something fun about it. I do it at home now. It's a little less, um, obviously there's no community. It's me in my, in my garage. Um, and, and I, to be honest, I, I, I have a challenge in motivating myself to do it before when I was at the gym, my motivator was, was actually money, um, because I'd paid for the class, um, more than anything. Um, but, uh, you know, now the motivation has to just be myself. Um, you know, I do, I do find it challenging, but when I do it, boy, it's fun, you know, and, and I, I do try to vary it up. Um, there's certain things that I enjoy doing more than others, but I, I do try to continue to challenge myself. I enjoy rowing quite a bit. I have a rowing machine now. Um, you know, I can, you know, go down and lift weights or just do any sort of body weight movement. Um, I did try a hot yoga class recently, which I enjoyed quite a bit. I don't know, if it's 100% for me, um, I'm not the most flexible person, and I'm sure doing more yoga would help with that, but, um, you know, it's just, you know, another fun thing to do in my in my life. You know, I enjoy going to sporting events, um, my kids and, and professional. You know, we, we try to do things 
around here to continue to have fun because that's what what I got sober for. Again, I didn't get sober to just show up to to recovery meetings, recovery events, um, you know, to just be like the AA guy and come home and, you know, it just wasn't what I was looking for. Um, you know, very early in my recovery, I remember we had a, uh, and I saw pictures of these the other day, uh, we had a big pig roast at our house. My wife and I had a, a party. Um, we we kind of renewed our, our wedding vows and then we had people over our house for a pig roast and I was looking through those photos and, you know, even though it was early in recovery, I was having fun. And I was able to be at that event. People were drinking. I was okay. Um, you know, there was people there that knew what I was doing and they were supportive and um, it was awesome. I But, you know, it was strange to me at that point. There were some other folks who I knew in, in the recovery space that were very against this idea. Um, they said that it was an awful idea. You know, I was going to have nothing but problems and I shouldn't be having that much fun yet. And I just couldn't quite wrap my head around that idea of I shouldn't be having fun yet. Like, I just kind of wanted to understand, well, when should I have fun? You know, what what's your timeline there, bud? And, um, you know, that was from a, a longtime friend, too, that gave me that. And, you know, he he kind of continued on this path of just, you know, this like, I just want to call it like old timer AA crap. And, you know, we we eventually just stopped talking to each other. Well, I think he sent me a text one day to have a good life. And that was it. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't he couldn't find the fun yet in his his recovery. And I think he just couldn't deal with seeing me kind of live my life uh, the way I was. And we, we stopped. But again, I just want to stress, find the fun in, in, in your life. And it makes this whole process so much easier. Um, it's, it becomes, you know, it doesn't become just a, a challenge anymore. You know, again, you have your accountability, you have your community, you have, you know, fun, you have these tools, and all of a sudden, it's not, it's not as daunting as it was, like, in those first couple days when you're just thinking, I just can't, I can't have a drink, or I can't take this drug, like, it, it's like, all of a sudden now, your mind is working on all these other, all these other things, accountability, service, fun, you know, um, you know, all of it becomes so critical. And now you're building this box of tools that you can, you can reach into any day and you're having a hard day. You reach in and you pick one out. Okay. I'm having a hard day. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the gym and not only am I going to be able to physically work out some of this, this hard feeling, but I'm going to see my friends and be able to talk and that's going to help you. Or, you know, Hey, I, uh, I feel like next week's going to be difficult. I should probably work some kind of service work into my week. Just, you know, I think as we grow in our in our recovery, like these tools kind of, you know, uh, become second nature. It it It's not even so much a tool anymore. It's just how you live. But again, early in recovery, there are tools and, and things that we need to, to understand that are there and we can pull them out and use them. Um you know, and, and that's how we start to get 
better in recovery. And for me, you know, I'll just say to wrap this up because it's hard to talk this long to nobody. Um, you know, it's been almost 11 years uh, of this this living. Um, I would like to say that it's been the best 11 years for me. Um, you know, through this time, I've made some great new friends, some really great friendships. I've had amazing experiences with my family. I've had a ton of success professionally. Um, I've seen, you know, places that I, I don't think I would have seen prior. You know, we've been on some great trips. We've done great things. We, you know, but on the other hand, um, I've overcome really hard challenges at the same time, right? Um, and I don't know that I would have been able to to navigate some of those life events if I was still drinking. Um, so as much as I want to say it's been all great, there's been hard things, but I could say I didn't make them harder by, by drinking through them. And I think that that, for me, was just a, a blessing. Um, and I'm not a religious person, so I just mean that in some other non-religious way. Um, but truly uh, a blessing to be able to navigate all the ups and downs of lives of life and um, you know and you know continue on and continue to grow as a person it's been it's been great um, you know and this podcast I'll just I'll you know I'll say this this podcast is sort of the next part of my um, recovery journey I I wanted to be able to talk to people in a little longer form, understand what they're doing in their lives that's making their lives better, um, some of their tools, and then getting them out to, to the masses. Um, you know, right now we're still growing the listenership. Uh, I try my hardest. I don't know the best tools to promote this and, you know, get thousands of downloads and, and you know, and I would only want that in, in all actuality, because then I know that it's reaching a thousand people that need it. Um, you know, that that's the goal for me, not anything else. It's, you know, the more people that can hear somebody's great way of, of navigating, not drinking in the first 30 days. That's awesome. Like the availability of, of this again, for me early in recovery was, was huge. And I, I wanted to have another platform, um, because maybe somebody will stumble onto my platform. Um, so that's why the sober by design podcast is, is a thing right now. Um, and my intention is to continue to do it. I didn't want to let a week slip. And that's why you're listening to me uh, talk for however long I've been talking for right now. Um, you know, and I, and I tend to leave these episodes when I have guests on with some, uh, recommendations on books or music or television shows, um, you know, I will say that this week I am a little light on all of that. Uh, for whatever reason, we've been not watching a lot. Um, we are watching Sweet Tooth on Netflix. We're wrapping that up with our younger son, Desmond, a very good show, very good soundtrack. I might have mentioned it on here already. Um, and then this week I did notice that um, one of my good friends from childhood released a new single on uh, Spotify. Uh, Damien Musto released his new single, Cry for Help. So give that a listen. 
and I am eagerly awaiting uh, the full Dave Matthews Band uh, album drop. Uh, they did release "Walk Around the Moon" this week, so another uh, single from a single from their new album. I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. I know it's not the coolest thing to be a Dave Matthews fan, but um, I just love their band and feel like they've kind of, I mean, they've done it for a long time. They continue to put out good songs. Um, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it is my cup of tea. So I will continue to uh, listen for as long as they'll put out music. And uh, that's my stuff for the week. Again, thank you for listening to me ramble on for this period of time. I hope that there was something useful in there for somebody. Um, if you could like, subscribe, uh, review, do whatever, uh, I think it helps uh, boost this up on a page. Or I, I don't even know yet. I got to really dig into the how this podcast thing works. But I appreciate everybody that listens. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.